morning, I want to invite you to uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 51, Isaiah 51, and uh, we are going to read the first six verses of that chapter. I am going to actually be reading from a little bit different translation than you have in the pew today, uh, just because of some of the words that I wanted to bring out that were available in a little different translation. Uh, But I think you'll still be able to follow along, and that should work out just fine. And as you are locating Isaiah 51, uh, let me invite you once again to just bow your heads with me. We'll ask God's blessing in our time in his word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you speak words of life and not judgment. Help us today to find life. We pray that as we find your life, as we're nurtured and sustained by your life, that our lives would more and more reflect you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So did everybody have a, a good Thanksgiving? Everybody looks satisfied? Right? Some of you have, you know, your shirts are a little tighter than they were before. But uh, one of the things that I was thinking about um, for Thanksgiving this year was wondering about, in my own life, if I am a thankful person or not. Uh, I was wondering about whether or not uh, I'm mostly a thankful person, or if I am uh, more a cynical person. I wonder how you would answer that question for yourself. Uh, are you mostly a thankful person, or are you mostly a cynical person? I, are you jaded when it comes to trusting people? Or do you tend to see the worst in any situation? Are you the sort of person who can uh, always be counted on to uh, have a a criticism or a complaint? Or are you the sort of person um, who is thankful? Are you quick to express thanksgiving for the blessings and the good that you see? I want to uh, look with you at this text from the book of Isaiah and uh, think with you this morning about the possibility for cultivating a deeper habit, a deeper uh, strain of thanksgiving in our lives. Uh, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek Yahweh. Uh, Look to the rock from which you were hewn, into the excavation of the pit from which you were quarried. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who brought you forth. For I called him alone, but I blessed him and made him numerous. For Yahweh will comfort Zion. He will comfort all of its sites of ruins, and he will make its wilderness like Eden, and its desert like the garden of Yahweh. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving in the sound of song. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Thanksgiving in the sound of song. Listen attentively to me, my people, and my nation. Listen to me, for a teaching will go out from me, And I will cause my justice to rest for a light to the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone out. And my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands wait for me. And for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath. For the heavens will be torn to pieces like smoke. And the earth will be worn out like a garment. And those who inhabit her will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be broken to pieces. 
We'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Amen. Uh, Isaiah here is speaking, uh, he's prophesying to the kingdom of Judah. Uh, if you remember, the nation of Israel was split into two groups, and the southern uh, nation of Judah lasted just a little bit longer than Israel. But uh, as Isaiah is speaking to Judah, uh, he's speaking to a Judah who has not yet been conquered by the Babylonians. Uh, what they have seen is their kin to the north in Israel conquered by the Assyrians. They've seen some of their land and some of their cities taken back uh, from them by the hand of the Assyrians. And Isaiah is saying to his people over and over again, he's pleading with the people of Judah, says, look at what just happened. Did you see that? Uh, you are heading down the same path. You are heading to the same fate if you don't change directions. It's sort of like a a scared straight experience that he's trying to have with them, uh, this intervention. He said, look at what just happened. Uh, but he's discovering that Judah isn't listening. And so Isaiah eventually just sort of uh, uh, resigns himself to the fact that there will be a, um, a destruction that comes to Judah and to Jerusalem itself. And he says, uh, your fate is sealed. You are going to be going into a captivity, a captivity in Babylon. And that raises some really important questions for Isaiah, and it raises some pretty important questions for the people of his time and for us. Uh, when when uh, Isaiah recognizes that God is saying this, this captivity will happen, this, this, uh, this conquest will occur, it raises the question of what about God's promises? Uh, what about God's faithfulness? Is God the sort of God who keeps the promises that he made to the Hebrew people? You remember way back uh, uh, when, when God spoke to Abraham and he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a nation so large and so numerous that it'll number more than the grains of the desert uh, sand and it will measure more than the stars in the, in the galaxies. Uh, you will be a great nation and through your nation, you are going to bless the whole earth. In other words, God promised Abraham that it was going to be through the Hebrew people that the earth would be restored and renewed and blessed again. And then God came along to, to, to uh, King David and, and renews that promise again in the age of the kings. And he says to David, David, I promise you that one of your sons will always eternally be on the throne. The promises of God. And now all of that is just being called into question. Are God's promises null and void? Are God's promises still good? Is God still going to be faithful? Is God still going to be righteous? And Isaiah is going to say, yes. God is emphatically, yes, going to keep his promises. God's promises are not undone by what his people do or don't do. In fact, the whole uh, ending portion of the book of Isaiah uh, really is a tribute to the fact that God is faithful and that God is going to keep his promises. Uh, Isaiah turns from the, 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 the promise and the truth of destruction that is impending uh, to the promise and the truth of restoration that is still to come. But, he says, in between those two realities, in between the destruction that will come and the restoration that will eventually come, in between those two realities, there's going to be a middle period of waiting. In that middle period of waiting, you are going to see horrible Sites. You're going to see the city of Jerusalem fall. 
and it's going to look like God is completely out of control in the world, or that God is absent, or that God is cruel. And when you see those things, you're going to be tempted to cynicism. You're going to be uh, tempted to reject God. You're going to be tempted to bitterness. You're going to be tempted to have a hardness of heart. And so there are three things that Isaiah wants God's people to hold on to in that time, in that in-between time that is still coming. The first one is that God has already acted for your salvation, already secured your salvation. The second thing is that God will act for your salvation. And then thirdly, during that in-between time, there is cause, there is reason for thanksgiving. Don't live in cynicism, despair. So number one, it says God has already acted for your salvation. Isaiah takes us back to the time of Abraham and Sarah. And God reminds his people that he has not only promised a blessing to the whole world through the Hebrew people, but that he has already demonstrated his power in beginning that work. He has already proven himself to keep that promise by giving uh, this um, aged and childless couple, Abram and Sarah, a son. Now, we already celebrated uh, the birth, um, the gift of life, right? And that was really cool. It's awesome to celebrate the gift of life. It's a miracle every time uh, we get to see a new life come into the world. But that isn't the miracle that Isaiah is talking about when he says, think back to Abraham and Sarah and how they had that son, right? It, it isn't just, oh yeah, they had a son. But just imagine if Caitlin and Henry uh, were standing here and they were 100 years old, right? 100 years old. And you've been told for decades by all of the best medical professionals that it was impossible for you to have a child. And then Isaac is born. That's the miracle. God's hand moved. God's power was already displayed. God has already proven that salvation is established. God has already kept his promise. In verses 1 and 2 of our text, all of the verbs are past tense. These are all things that God has already done. And our response to him for that, uh, is to thank him for those blessings. When we see what God has already done, we thank him for those blessings. And on our uh, Thanksgiving break, we took a day trip over to Grand Rapids. And on the way over to Grand Rapids, uh, sort of uncharacteristically, I said out loud in the car, uh, what are some of the things that you're grateful for as we celebrate Thanksgiving this year? And Ben was the very first one to go. And uh, he piped up and he said, uh, with just a ton of sincerity, I'm really thankful for my, with my, for my family. And, uh, and then um, I said, well, you know, can you be a little bit more specific about that? And he said, sure. And he said, I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for you, right? So for each one of you, right? And that's the, that's the invitation here, right? That's, that's the invitation that, that, that Isaiah has for us. It isn't just to have this general, generic sense of uh, appreciation that we have a God, but it's to have a very 
concrete sense of reality that in very personal, uh, substantive, real, historic ways, God's power has been seen. God has acted. God has demonstrated that he is the Lord of creation and that he is the author of life. And we can give him thanks for that. And we give him thanks for that specific work that comes against cynicism and bitterness. The second thing I want us to see in this text is that we then move from God's work in the past. Salvation has already been established. Uh, to a whole slew of future tense verbs. There are all sorts of things that God will still do. Uh, justice will be seen. Mercy is coming. Your salvation is on the way. It's still to come. And in this passage, uh, God uses two really uh, vivid images to help us to see uh, just how uh, sure this future blessing is going to be. Uh, first, he envisions a column of smoke. Uh, picture uh, sitting around a campfire or a cooking fire uh, or a chimney, and you see a column of smoke rising up into the sky. And as that uh, column of smoke uh, first comes together and rises, uh, just picture how it seems so uh, solid and it, and it holds together and it seems uh, permanent. But it doesn't take very long as it uh, gets up a little bit higher into the atmosphere and a little breeze catches it. And uh, uh, that, that, that column of smoke that once looked so permanent and so real uh, just begins to dissipate and it fades away into nothing. And then he uses a second uh, image. And he says, imagine a 10-year-old uh, with a new pair of jeans. Right, And those jeans look solid. They look like they're going to last forever. But every parent knows that sooner or later, um, usually sooner, uh, those knees will wear right out. Uh, the, the garments will become thin. And what looked like it was strong and permanent and lasting fades away. And the point is this. Whatever you are dealing with now in your life, Whatever uh, is in your life today, whatever that thing is that seems most real, most pressing, most urgent, most important, most solid, whatever that thing is that you are chasing after, looking for happiness, holding on to, uh, to make your life complete, whatever that thing is, no matter how solid, no matter how permanent it looks, uh, even the best thing, even the best gifts, Isaiah says, are incredibly temporary. Like the flame on this candle is temporary. <laughs> we have a little water feature going here. What's that? It's fleeting. The thing that is um, vexing you, the problem that you agonize over, the suffering that you experience, the fear that gnaws at you. Don't be fooled. It's like a pillar of smoke that just dissipates. Uh, it's like a pair of jeans that wear right out. What lasts 
is what matters. What lasts is what matters. What is permanent is what matters. And God says, my salvation will be forever. Uh, My righteousness will not be broken into pieces. My righteousness and my salvation and my kingdom will, will not dissipate like that smoke. It will never vanish. It will last forever. Um, during the, the, the ministry of Isaiah and on into the actual Babylonian captivity uh, that is to come, there will be huge swaths of the Hebrew people, huge uh, chunks of the nation that had once carried the name of God, who will look around them, they will see the destruction, they will see the might of the Babylonian empire, they will see the attractiveness of other gods, other pursuits, other places to focus, and they'll just simply give up on God. Huge groups of them will just walk away. They'll get absorbed into the culture around them. But here God is speaking to a remnant. Uh, There's a small handful that won't be fooled. In verse 1, it is those who seek the Lord, those who are pursuing righteousness. In verse 4, it's, those who listen to God's voice and listen to his teachings. In verse 6, it's those who will lift up their eyes to the heavens and keep their gaze on God, grasping for what is permanent and real and lasting. In other words, uh, there are some who can see what is still coming. Some who can see the future that is still moving towards them, the salvation that is yet to be revealed some who can give themselves to what will last forever. And when we can do that, when we give ourselves to what is permanent, when we give ourselves to God's kingdom, that's an antidote to cynicism, and it's a gateway to thanksgiving. And then finally, uh, there's an honest recognition here that there is going to be a time in between. Uh, There's going to be a time in between uh, God's mighty and decisive action to intervene and establish the people of Israel through Abraham, through the gift of Isaac. And on the other hand, that moment when the whole world will see God's salvation. Uh, There's a time in between. Uh, between when God has already acted and when God will act and bring about his mercy and his justice. There's going to be this in-between time that we call today the the period of exile. Uh, It's a time of um, wandering. It's a time, he says, in the wilderness. It's a time in the desert. It's a time when justice seems to be fleeting. And it's that time where we find resonance between Isaiah's situation and ours. Because we also live in this in-between time. We live uh, in between God's decisive act in sending Jesus Christ into the world in the final act of Jesus' return again. And in our in-between time, we also know pain. We know the pinch of exile. We live sometimes with God's silence. Uh, For so many in our world, justice is just elusive 
um, Me Too, a movement that might empower and heal, but can never erase the trauma. Uh, For children within sight of the U.S. borders, the in-between time is filled with hunger and sickness and dirty water and violent cartels. During the in-between time, we experience the breakdowns in relationships, the pain of diagnosis that doesn't hold a promising outcome. During the in-between time, we see division and despair. How can you not get just a little bit cynical or jaded or even agnostic? And here's Isaiah's answer. For those of you who live in between the beginning of God's salvation and its culmination, for those of you who have tasted exile, for those in the wilderness, for those in the desert places, he says, this is what you do. He says in verse 2, look at Abraham. It's an odd piece of advice. Look at Abraham. Abraham is one who was, he says, forged out of the earth, rendered from stone. In this text, Isaiah is speaking words that uh, invite us to imagine Abraham as a new version of Adam, who is also formed out of the earth. And we are invited to see this new Adam in a new Eden. Very specifically, uh, we're told that uh, in verse 3, uh, the future is that Eden will be restored, that, that God's work is that there will be a restoration, this new image of Eden. And so in this prophetic, uh, poetic sense, we're invited to engage our imaginations and see a new Adam in a new Eden, a new Adam in a new Eden. Who was Adam in that garden? Adam was the image bearer. Adam was the image of God placed there in the midst of that garden of God's creation. Now, sometimes when we think about being created in the image of God, uh, we have this idea that uh, we're thinking about some internal trait or characteristic that makes me um, reflect something that God is like. So what is it in a human being um, that makes me unlike the rest of creation and more like God, right? Uh, so maybe sometimes people say we're creating God's image and that means that we have logic or the ability to reason or it means that we have love and the ability to form relationships or we have community, uh, the way that the Trinity is. We, we have some characteristic. But I want to suggest that that falls short of the picture that the the scriptures are inviting us to imagine. And the picture that we're uh, invited to imagine here is very specific um, in terms of the Near Eastern practice of kings. And ancient kings would carve out for themselves, uh, out of uh, stone or wood, uh, an image of themselves, right? It's like a selfie that they would take. And they would place these images, these statues, all around their kingdom in uh, important and visual places, Uh, maybe uh, in a marketplace or along a a heavily traveled route or on a hilltop, some place where their image would be visible. 
And then anybody who came into that geography could look around and see the image of the king and say, oh, I get it. That's who rules here. That's who's in charge. That's who this belongs to. That's the image of the king. And so when the scriptures say to us, we are created in God's image, uh, we're invited to imagine that human beings were created and set around God's creation as a as a visual reminder uh, of God's authority, of God's ownership, of God's reign, that we represent the king in our person. So Abraham, a new Adam, a new image, carved out of the rock, says Isaiah, and set there in this new garden. Look at Abraham. Look at God's image, standing there as a a constant representation of what God has already done. God's salvation has already begun, and of what God is still yet to do. A little bit later on in the history of salvation, Jesus will be called the new Adam. Through God's power at work in both of their lives, Overcoming, in the first case, the helplessness and the hopelessness and the barrenness of an ancient womb. And overcoming, in the second case, the helplessness and the hopelessness and the barrenness of a tomb. God's power in both of their lives demonstrates the intended shape and purpose of humanity. In other words, God's intention was always that his reign on earth would be accomplished through his human creation, through human beings, through you and me. Uh, From Adam to Noah to Abraham to David to Jesus to the church that is filled with the same spirit of God. God's intention was always that we would be the instrument, the vehicle of his reign. Uh, So, during the in-between time, uh, between the beginning of God's salvation already being established and the future time of God's reign fully being consummated, when you're beset by cynicism, when you're tempted to complain, when you doubt, when God's silence is deafening, look for the places of God's reign already visible in and through his image bearers. Fred Rogers, I think, was one of America's greatest saints, in my view. Uh, He had a version of that. Do you know the story? Fred Rogers, whenever a national disaster would happen, whenever there was a crisis, he would always recount advice that his mother had given to him. He said this was a way to help children through frightening times, in times of danger, in times of violence, in times of tragedy, in the in-between time. Uh, Mr. Rogers would say, look for the helpers. Uh, Look for the helpers. Look for the people moving towards the pain to help. In a culture of greed, in a culture of violence, in a culture of unconscionable inequalities, 
in places of loss, in places of despair, saints, look for the helpers. Look for the image bearers. Look for the new Adams and the new Eves, filled with God's Spirit, who pursue righteousness and seek Yahweh. And if you do that, you will see God. This past week, some of us got to celebrate the expansion of the Remy family. Um, it's so cool that Josh and Dee are just sort of seamlessly woven in to the family. Josh, I'm talking about you. <laughs> now, there's that smile. Is that your real smile? Yeah, all right. I don't know who, somebody was sitting over there before service, and they said, okay, there are five of us. We need five pencils. There's five of us now. Adoption hearings are uh, really intense experiences. Uh, adoption hearings are emotional experiences. And uh, it was uh, really hard to find a dry eye in that courtroom. For me, at least, uh, the intensity and the emotionality um, isn't about or isn't primarily about the circumstances that make probate courts necessary in the first place. Although there's a story of loss and tragedy, there's a story of brokenness, uh, there's a story of life in between. Uh, for me, the tears and the emotions are about the helpers. The ones who reflect God's image into that place of brokenness and darkness. The ones through whom God's reign is visible and real and on full display. And when we see that image of God, when we look at the new Adams and the new Eves, living fully into God's kingdom as his image bearers, that's reason for thanksgiving. God has already worked to bring you salvation. Your salvation is already secure. It's already begun. It's already solid. And give him thanks for that. There's also a not yet. There's something about your salvation that is still to come. There's something about God's work that is not yet complete. There will come a day when the things that bring you pain and brokenness and darkness and despair, the things that tempt you to cynicism, will be done away with. That day is still to come. And in between the already and the not yet, look for the helpers. Look for the image bearers. Notice God's kingdom in them. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to be people of thanksgiving and joy. That our lives individually and our lives together uh, would be a song of worship to you. That we would not join in uh, with the voices of despair, the hardness, with the jadedness, 
of our culture, but that we would be distinctive, that we would bear your image. In Jesus' name, amen. As our worship team is coming forward,